Well, good morning. If this is your first time here, greetings. And you came on a really good day because we are starting a new uh, series on the book of Exodus. It's going to run basically from now all the way till Easter. And I uh, can't remember if it goes beyond that, but a long time. And so this is a good time for you to be here. It's a good time. We're going to start this. And let me pray really quick before we get going. And then uh, we'll dive right into it. So, Father, we just pray that you would bless this time with your presence. Help us to hear from you, from your word. Lord, I pray that you would open this scripture up for us, that we would be able to start to understand what you want to say to us as a group and as individuals and for people in our lives and our family. And Lord, help us to share the good news of Jesus with everyone that we know in every way that we can. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we're starting the book of Exodus. And this uh, most of this, as we go through it, we're going to have a lot of sections that are chapter by chapter, and then some sections are chapters together because that's just kind of how the book organizes itself. But we'll get into that. But before we even start, I got a little bit of a kind of intro setup phase. So I wanted to let you know that on our website, I have a list of resources that will be up there probably the whole time we're in the book of Exodus, just so that you can, um, other than just on Sunday, go check out more. Because this book is pretty pretty big, pretty important biblically and all sorts of things. It's not to be overlooked. So I, I got some good collection of stuff, and we may add to this as we find things, Pastor Kevin and I. Um, the first one is there's, some, there's a couple links on there to the Bible Project videos. These videos are great because they're able to make like a one-poster illustration. This one actually, this book's big enough that there's two. There's part one and part two. Both of those links are on our website. And um, you can watch that and get a pretty good overview really quick in about 20 minutes, you get, okay, I see where this is going, and I can see what's going on with this book, and that's a really helpful resource. I also, I don't have a slide for this one, but I added um, a link to a whole series of messages by a man named David Pawson, who's a pretty influential teacher that a lot of people listen to. I have not listened through all of those messages, but I will as, I'm going, as we're going through it, but he kind of breaks it down in two chapter chunks, and he's kind of teaching. He's a reliable source, but then I also have some books. These I'm going to explain a little bit because you might go... I don't understand your reason for including these, but I will explain as we go. So this book here is a new book by a man named Miroslav Volf and a guy named Ryan McAnally. It doesn't really matter. The book is called The Home of God. The link is on our website. And now what this book does is utilizing the book of Exodus, also the book of John and Revelation, it starts to show how you see the story of the book of Exodus as a big kind of overarching story that also kind of depicts... God's whole dealing with humanity throughout the entire Bible, okay? And we'll get into this in a little bit more. So, so what this does is it gives you a big 10,000-foot view of how maybe to read this, what this means at really deeper levels and stuff, and then also how to see the parallels that are in the Gospels and actually all the way into Revelation where you see that at the very end of Revelation, it's like, and now God's home is with his people, this whole concept and all that sort of stuff. They developed that really well in this book, and it's pretty brand new. It does... Every once in a while, dabble close to Christian universalism type stuff, but in probably a 10,000-foot view way that might be helpful. And if you don't know what any of those words I just said meant, don't worry about it. Just read the book. It'll be, you'll figure it out. And um, the next book, this one is called Faith in the Wilderness. And I just stumbled upon this, I think, by the Lord's divine guidance because there's no one that I know that's read it or even recommended it. It just Amazon suggested it to me. And what this is is a collection of teachings and some, it's basically like sermons from the underground church in China right now, like from 2021 or 22 or something. And 
It was organized by these authors, Hannah Nation and Simon Liu. And what this is helpful in Exodus about is people having faith in God while in the wilderness. Or our faith as we're walking through this world where things don't always go our way. You know, God has done major things in our lives. He's delivering us, but we're still experiencing the hardships of this world, which is what you see in the story of Exodus. These people are talking about real-life things, but it's also helpful for us because they're Chinese and they're experiencing some different things, but some, it's like you start to see the human picture from that because they're not just Americans. You see what I'm saying? It does dabble, it, <laughs> this very reformed, and so there's a lot of that going on, but in probably a very day-to-day sort of way, which is helpful. And if you don't know what those words mean, don't worry about it. Just read it. It'll help. It kind of balances out the other book. All right. <laughs> a lot, the, uh, two more books. This one, um, Miracles Today by Craig Keener. This is a, the book of Exodus is full of God doing powerful things in our space-time world. Meaning like, you might say, okay, I understand what you're saying. You have faith in God and that makes you feel better about yourself, which makes you have a better outlook on life and then therefore things are better. And I'm like, well, not really. I mean, that's not totally off the That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, like, God, you praying for somebody, and their body is different. Like, that's affecting space-time material, okay? God's doing a lot of stuff like that in the book of Exodus, and you might not have a grid for that. And if you don't, I highly recommend you read this book because it's credible and well-researched about miracles today. It's 300 pages, and if you go, gosh, that's really long, it's actually a condensed version of his longer book, which is actually two books, because it's 1,250 pages or something like that. I have not read that one, because <laughs> I just don't have the time. But I highly recommend this, because he talks about miracles that God has done in our day that are you know, verifiable, and also he helps explain how we should live in light of that. And I, we talked about this when we had our healing prayer class, because these kinds of things are, are in some ways easy to believe in, but also hard to live with, meaning you start to come to conclusions about why God may or may not have done something when you pray for it that might not be accurate or helpful. And he tells a story in this book of a person that got miraculously, documented miraculously healed from cancer miraculously. The doctors even said, the non- they're like, I don't believe in miracles, but this is a miracle because you should have died. Then that person went on and would pray for people to be healed. Some of them would be healed and some of them wouldn't. And so you say like, well, somebody, well, they didn't believe hard enough. Like, I don't know how you could believe it anymore when it happened to you. See what I'm saying? So this helps walk through some of those things, but it gives you a good grid for God doing things, him doing them, not just us doing them in his name, but also, anyway, you get the idea. The last book is I'm going to continue this one over from when we had Advent. This Suffering is Never for Nothing book. I highly recommend this. This one's short and potent, and I actually think might be the best of the bunch, so if you're only going to read one, I recommend this, because what she gets into is how God is with us when we're going through hard times. He does ultimately deliver us, but there's times he allows us to experience things, and you, we need to have a good grid for that as well. To even to live, well, I mean, to live, but also to even understand Exodus at all, okay? So that's why I have this book. All right, so let's get into Here's how we're going to approach this. The book of Exodus is hugely important to the Bible. It's referenced tremendously. Kevin and I were talking about that, how often it's quoted, how often it's, like, remembered. The, so many of the feasts are coming. There's so many things attached to this book, and it's been studied by lots of people for thousands of years, so there's too much to say about it. So we need kind of a guide on how we're going to get through it because it's jam-packed with 
all three of these things. There's theology throughout it. It says a lot about God. It says a lot about how God interacts with us. It says a lot about how we can interact with God and human conditions sort of stuff. It's also a historical book, meaning, again, it, it's a thing that ha- it's depict. It's telling the story of a thing that happened in our space-time universe thousands of years ago. It's not a. It's not like Star Wars. They didn't just make it up. Okay, and then. But what we're going to use as our guide for us as we walk through this is this third category, which is uh, the story. Because we believe that um, the book of Exodus is in the Bible in the format that it's in to be uh, read as a story. It's a story that has massive theological and historical implications, but it's a story to be interacted with as it's laid out. And when you tell a story, um, you're motivated by by different things. You know, history might be like, what happened? You know, and theology is like, well, what is, you know, what about God in this? But the story can start to answer questions like, what does it mean? Which is, I think, what we need to be getting from this, you know. It also, stories reach into you and touch you in different ways than just a list of things that happened, okay? And it reminded me when I was thinking about this, of how stories do this. I was in college, and we were poor. Carrie and I worked at a college ministry uh, together, that's where we met. That's a little piece of information. It's interesting. But while we were there, we, we had no money because we were college students. And you didn't have things like Netflix. Like, the internet did not have videos on it. Can you imagine this? They had, like, little short clips that were, like, you know. So you couldn't, like, I'm going to watch it. If you wanted to watch a movie, you had to either own a tape or DVD of it or borrow it from a friend who owned it or check it out from Blockbuster. May they rest in peace. But the, uh, there was the only way to watch it, or if it was on TV, right? What? There is one blockbuster. Yes, this is correct. So you can go there. The, um, but I remember, I don't want to take too long with this because this really doesn't make any, this doesn't matter. I, uh, <laughs> I was wanting to watch something while I was doing some work, and there was, you know, movies we had in a pile kind of in the TV room at the ministry, and there was not very much there, and there was a tape of It's a Wonderful Life, and I was like, well, I haven't seen that, no, I'll put that on while I'm doing this thing, you know, so I put it on, I was doing work, and then a bunch of college guys came in, and I was like, it's probably not the movie I'd want to be watching while other people came in, and that kind of, in fact, happened, they're like, what is this? It's black and white, which, as my kids have informed me, means the movie is bad, and so they were, uh, that prejudice already existed at the time, but I was like, well, it's good. I've, you know, I haven't seen it in a while. And I'm like, okay. And then they just kind of sat down because college, you're like, what else are we going to do? And they started watching it. And I like, had to go to a class because I was the kind of student that went to classes. And I left and then came back like hours later at the very end of the movie. And there was like, <laughs> like 30 people in this room. And they were all fully engaged in the end of this movie, which you've all seen. And like some of them were crying. And like one of the, the, main, the main detractor who had made fun of it the most when he came in, he's like, I was like crying at the end of that movie. And it's because stories are powerful and they reach you in different ways than just a list of things that happened. But since this is a historical story, the book of Exodus, not It's a Wonderful Life, um, stories also kind of tell more than their parts. Like they give meaning to the list of things that happen or they can give insight into this list of things that happened, why they happened. And some of that comes into how you choose to depict these things. And this made me think of another old movie, the movie Patton, which both of these, if you haven't seen, you probably should see just to have seen. Kids, ask your parents about this one. There's some language in it, now that I think about it. Anyway, well, 
Ask your dad. But in this movie, uh, they had a hard time because this man is so interesting and strange and, like, very unique. His whole life was, was, was from, like, the beginning, was weird and unusual and might make good movie material. And they had a hard time figuring out how to make a movie out of this guy because everything was so good. And then finally, they had a biography that a movie company owned the rights to, and they found this guy named Francis Ford Coppola, who at the time was just a kid. Like, hey, why don't you write a script out of this? So he just kind of took the biography and would, like, you know, I'll take that. And so basically everything in this movie re basically happened. I mean, they had to condense a few things to get it in there, but it ended up, he left out a lot of things about this guy, but what you're left with is a really good sense of this man, to the point that Pat, the real general Patton from World War II, his family was like, no, you cannot make a movie about our dad or whatever because you just can't get it right. And they loved this movie. They're like, that's exactly what he was like. And so it's this weird way that stories can carry more than just what they are. They kind of, uh, and the reason this is important is that like it or not, when you have things like theology, history, story, you know, and I realize the word story is in the word history, but I mean, when you're talking about these whole things and approaching something like the book of Exodus in this way, like it or not, the story wins. The story always wins. And even in this, this, uh, this, this depiction, like most people now, my age, and even a little bit older than me, if you think of Patton, I'm not thinking of the actual man, I'm thinking of the movie. Like that took over the zeitgeist of, you know, the culture. And this is what's important about this is because we believe stories. We all believe stories. We all believe things about God. We all believe things, stories about ourselves, stories about our family. And the important, I mean, one of the things is a lot of these stories aren't true. You believe stories about yourself that are absolutely not true. And they're absolutely not of God. And they're absolutely unhelpful. And here's the funny thing about beliefs. Because you have history. What happened? Then you have theology. What does God say about all of that? Or what does that mean about God? Let's look at God's. And then you have this story thing over here, which contains these other things. And this one kind of ends up driving the ship for you, for me, and all of us. And if I believe a wrong story, like say we mix up some of this stuff, you know, well, I think that means God's a jerk, right? And I believe in the story that God's a mean person because that's, that's how the story I believe. The funny thing is, it doesn't change who God actually is, okay? It also doesn't change at all what actually happened. It only changes how you live with it. So the false stories that we all believe only harm us and the other people around us that we tell them to or that we believe along with it, right? So what this book is going to give us is a massive edit to the story of humans, all of us, and humanity as a group and all that sort of thing. And it made, I ran into this quote. This is from Leslie Newbegin. It says this, If the biblical story does not control our thinking, then we will be swept into the story the world tells about itself. Or you could say, if the, if the biblical story does not control our thinking, then we will be swept into the story we tell about ourselves. And we may not be good storytellers. But what I mean about that is, you know, well, you get the point. So Exodus is an important biblical story. And we're going to go through it like that. 
And I'm going to give you the storyline now. I know it's a little bit like you shouldn't tell the punchline, but I think most of you have read this, and you can read ahead, but I want to show you the story arc that we're going to be following because this is what's in the book. I didn't add this. You know, we know a lot of things about Moses and a lot of things about the situation in the wilderness. They're not in the book of Exodus. They're in, like, Numbers and other places, you know, and those are all important true things, but they didn't include them in this part, okay, because they wanted you to see this story arc which is kind of referencing back that Home of God book that I was talking to you about. The story starts with God's people suffering. And then God responds as a deliverer. And God leads them towards the promised land. And it ends with God dwelling among them in the wilderness. It doesn't end in the promised land. It ends with them making a tabernacle for God's presence in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you... When I hear that, I go, that sounds about like it. Like, how many of you does that feel like sort of your life with God? It's like, you know, we're not there yet. We're going there. But God is with us now. And things, God has delivered me from the past. You see? This is the storyline that we're going to be following. And so, because we're looking at this primarily as a story, I want to invite you, as we go through this, to see yourself within the story. And you're going to have to do some of the work on this. Because... We might talk about these people as characters, not meaning they're not historical, but just because they enter in in that deeper way of reaching into you. Like you might, re- you might feel like, um, a, an, a, like when we go through this today, an oppressed person, like an oppressed Hebrew person, somebody suffering injustice that's not right, and you can relate to what they're experiencing in this story, right? You might also feel like Moses when we, when we get to Moses, he's not going to get to it today, of wanting to rescue people like that, right? Or wanting to help people like that. And then you also, I mean, even things like Pharaoh, who's the bad guy, you know, you can see in a story format that when God's coming to deliver you and he's taking you through this waters of baptism sort of situation and a rebirth, there's a Pharaoh inside of you that wants to fight against that. And God must drown him in the water. You see what I'm saying? And you can start to recognize these things because this is a human story. It's, every, it's a story about God's people, the Israelites, thousands of years ago in Egypt. And it also is a story about all of us. And God wants us to pick up all of that. So let me set the stage really quick. And then I'm going to have Dalton come up and read it. And then we'll make a few points about Exodus 1. So this is uh, connecting to the book of Genesis, which is kind of from the beginning of everything till the point that we get to in this story, which leads you into, like, this is a bigger story than just about some people a couple thousand years ago. Because if I said, hey, write a history of America, and you're like, okay. And you said, in the beginning, there was this thing called the Big Bang or whatever. You're like, what are you talking about? I said, America. Like, why are you starting? You know, but this is a story about everything, okay? So they had to start at the beginning. And you see in Genesis, God makes the world and then it's sinless and it's pure, and then humans, he makes man in his image, and we choose sin over God, breaking a relationship and breaking um, uh, creation, and God says, I will fix this. I'm going to fix this. And then he chooses a man, Abraham, or Abram, and he becomes Abraham, and says, I'm going to fix this through your descendants. I'm going to fix this through you. And then we see more stories of uh, his sons and his sons and his And we get all the way down to Joseph, who is one of his brothers, um, the, he's the youngest at the time, and his dad has preference towards him, his brothers get jealous, so they sell him into slavery in Egypt, which is not cool, but God ultimately takes him through har- some horrible situations all the way through some dream interpretations. Joseph 
Pharaoh has some bad dreams. Joseph tells him what the dreams mean, and Pharaoh's like, you're the guy who should help us fix this because there's going to be a famine, and we need to get ready for it, and you seem like the only guy that knows what's going on. So ultimately, Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt, and they do all this stuff, and, they, and when the famines come, they're saving everybody's lives. And so ultimately, his brothers who sold him into slavery and thought he might be dead by now show up, and through some chain of events, which you can read in Genesis, they all get reconciled. He's like, look, you tried to harm me, but God had a plan, and now we can save all these people. And the Pharaoh's like, hey, your family, bring them on over. Let's hang out. You know, and so they all move to Egypt because we have food, and it's great. So that's where we end the story of this Genesis, where Joseph now has come from Israel, and um, they've now come to, or from the, that area, and then they've now come, and they're all in Egypt with the Pharaoh, right? And this is where this picks up. Dalton, why don't you come up and read this? So they want to start Exodus listing off some of the people that came with Jacob and Joseph down to Israel. And then they tell you what happens next. Exodus 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan and Naphtali. Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph... Far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pitom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pura, when you are helping the Hebrew woman during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Thank you. So this is the introduction to our story in the book of Exodus. And the main point I want you to take away from this 
is that you can't stop God, and nobody can. In the book of Genesis 12, this is what God says to Abraham. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's a good day. That's a good statement. And I was thinking, if I was one of these people that was there experiencing um, this situation where they're trying to kill us off, I would... Uh, um, and they're pushing us into harsh labor and all this kind of stuff. Well, we'll just, just, just remember this. We'll come to this in a second. God promised to make them a great nation. He promised all these kind of things. And they're experiencing something that seems the exact opposite. And the reason is that is the powers of this world are afraid of God and his people, and they try to stop them in everything he does. And you can see in this story... They try it, it doesn't work. And they try it, it doesn't work. And they keep trying it, it doesn't work. And when, so there's this kind of, I like this because there's a but in this in verse 12 where it says, you know, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. This is what it's like with the people of God. The more the world tries to stop us, the more multiply and spread. And like I said, this is one reason I included that underground underground china church book is because that's exactly what happened the more oppressive the regime becomes the more the church spreads it's not fun it is bad they do call out to god for um you know salvation or the deliverance from situ the situations and everything like that but they can't the the movement of god cannot be stopped by man and that's the point that we have to get from this and that this experience that the hebrew people are living through a promise of god not feeling like it's happening is exactly the kind of thing that we remember Jesus telling us in John 15, if the, in verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than a master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And they did persecute him. And this is not something to be like, well, let's go out and be mean to everybody so that they get upset and then we can call that persecution. No. He's just saying that it will happen because there are evil forces in this world that actually are afraid of God. And when God is with us and there's a light within us shining in the darkness, they want to snuff it out. It should be expected. And even though it's expected, that doesn't make it easy at all. It's actually quite difficult. And you see in verses 14 through 20 in this, this, this whole story of the more God's blessing them, then they, the Egyptians respond by making their life harsh. Verse 14, it says they made their lives bitter with harsh labor. There are people in this world that will have the ability to make our lives bitter. And then, even worse, in verses 15 through 20, Pharaoh's like, well, then I'm just going to kill all the boys. Which, if you remember, this exact same thing happens when Jesus is born, you know, that's how they try to deal with things. They're like, well, I'm just going to kill them all, you know. And even then, every time they try it, it just doesn't work. But there's actual people suffering. There's actual babies that are being killed here. And it's horrible and undeserved oppression because Pharaoh is fearful. And this is the kind of horrible thing that people do when they're afraid and resisting God. But you can't stop God. This chapter reminds us that men may try to stop God, but nothing and no one can stop God. And just like in verse 12, but they were... But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. God is with us as Christian people. 
Pharaoh goes even more of the extreme in verse 22 when he just says, every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown, in, must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. They're, I think they're killing the boys because the boys would be the military force that could resist, the, you know, Pharaoh at one point was what he said. And that sets the introduction for next week with Moses. And so we have to kind of leave this the way it leaves itself. You have God's people living out a promise, following God, even through the crazy story of Joseph, which I paraphrase, but you get the idea. His brothers are trying to get rid of the guy, and God ends up ultimately making him the second most powerful person in Egypt and saves lots of people um, through all of that, uh, like lives, literally, like here's food that you didn't have. And then all these years later, they're being oppressed totally unjustly, and it's not fair. And it's not right. And it's not good. It doesn't feel good. And it can feel like in our lives that we may believe things, but we don't feel like God is with us. Or we don't feel like things are working the way they should. And that can cause us to doubt, did God ever really say? Which is exactly what the serpent says to Eve, tempting her in the garden. So what we have to remember from this, Kayla, you can come on up here, is that you can't stop God. This chapter reminds us that men may try, try to stop God, but there's nothing they can do to do that. And, and, and there's this weird piece that I'll give you now, because God had promised all this. I read this uh, from Genesis. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be, ble- you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I think about Hebrew people that knew this in Egypt as their lives are being made bitter at night talking about it. Didn't God say this? And I think some people probably were like, maybe we were wrong because our circumstances are telling us a different story than the story that we're experiencing. And this is what Leslie Newbegin was talking about, that if we don't have the Bible, I'm just going to read it again just so I don't mess it up. If the biblical story does not control our thinking, then we will be swept into the story the world tells about itself. The world that was telling the story to them at that time, that you're not blessed, that you are not going to be a great nation, and we're going to destroy you. And that's what it's going to always say to each and every one of us. The enemy hates life, all life. The enemy very much hates Jesus and wants to destroy everything he does. But this is the thing. They can't stop God. And God knew the whole time. Let me just read you this here. This is from Genesis 15. Again, speaking to Abraham. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in good old age, as we sang to Abraham. So I would think, questioning, you know, didn't God say we'd be a great nation? Didn't God say that we would be blessed if we'd have many descendants. 
And maybe the first round, they're like, ha, these guys are trying to stop us. But look, no matter what they do, we win. But Israelites become bitter. And as the, as the, the ruling authority literally is trying to kill your children, you start to doubt these things. And I think that somebody remembered this as well. It's like, you know, God did tell us this would happen. And I thought a lot about this point because it doesn't answer why. And I don't know about you, there is some comfort, like if I was in this situation, and like John came and was like, hey, you know what? I remember this. We, you know, this guy wrote this down and, you know, God had said this to Abraham. Like, hey, we're going to suffer for 400 years in another country, but it's going to work out. I'd be like, well, that's great. But my child died today. And be like, why does that have to happen? You see what I'm saying? And we're tempted to ask these kinds of questions. And I think this is one reason why um, looking at this book as a historical book these aren't the kind of stories people make up about themselves, you know, especially countries, like, or people, you know. You don't make up a story like, well, our people started as slaves. You're like, mm, let's write another one, you know. You know, you find these kind of stories like, well, we came down from Valhalla or whatever. You're like, there's, there's a grand entrance, you know. The truth is, start as slaves, and God is delivering you. And he makes this promise all the time. like, you're going to go through this. But ultimately, you're going to deliver. And I think it's okay to ask God why about things. But it's also okay if he doesn't answer it. Because just because we ask God a question, I don't think requires him to answer it on our terms. And you see a lot of that in the book of Job. Because when God does finally respond, he's like, who are you to even ask me this? And I bring that up because I want you to see the true value of this whole thing. Ultimately, God cannot be stopped. Ultimately, God is good. Ultimately, God will deliver us. Ultimately, God will dwell with us where there is no more crying, no more pain, and no kind of thing. But there's a lot to go through between now and then. And a lot of it, you and I both won't understand. You know, when you come to me like, why did this happen? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, there's sometimes you do. We're like, well, you spend all your money on drugs, so you have no money. Like that one's, you see what I'm saying? That one's easy. But when it's like, you know, why did God let this happen? We don't always get the answer to that. But what we can do is trust him through it. But it helps to remember the promises God has given you. I, found, I was thinking about this and I, I ran into Romans 8. So I'm going to read this to you. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I want to read this. I want you to think about the struggles in your life, the oppression in your life, the unjust things you've experienced in your life, the worst things in your life. And I want you to hear this as a response. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any change against those whom God has chosen? Any charge against those whom God has chosen. That's why I have Dalton read. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, 
is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as, as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the biblical story. And it doesn't promise that you're always going to feel it. And there's times when we go through dark experiences where we don't since the presence of God. And they're not always just because we're doing bad things. And I can prove that to you because Jesus himself, God in the flesh, when dying on the cross, cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he is God. He can't be forsaken in that sense, but he does not sense the presence of his Father in this moment. And he did nothing wrong ever. He's the spotless lamb. There's no wrongness that added up to go, well, you know, you get like, again, you see this in Job when he's talking with his friends. It's like, you must have done something. You're just not being honest. And he's like, no, this isn't because of that. The story the Bible tells is nothing, literally nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not a thing, not a distance, not a person, not a force, nothing. And if we don't let that be our place of being, our place of living, our, our, how we understand ourselves. Who are you? I am someone that God loves. Who are you? You are someone that God loves. Who are you? You are someone that God loves. And you go, well, I don't feel like it. It doesn't change it. I said, you're only changing your world, your little belief world. I don't believe it. Well, it's like it doesn't change that God loves you and that he's loving you the things that happening and the, and the way God is, it doesn't change that. It only changes it for you and for the people around you that suffer because you're suffering. We have to surrender ourselves to the truth of the word of God, Jesus Christ. May, may, maybe you feel oppressed and forgotten by God. Maybe you've been believing the wrong story. Maybe you've given up and it's time to change. This is an invitation for you to exit that and enter into this walk with God. That's what this story is. And it will seem impossible. E. Stanley Jones says this, It's unnatural for a Christian not to have an appetite for the impossible. There's some double negatives in there, so I'm going to read that again. It's unnatural for a Christian not to have an appetite for the impossible. Do you have an appetite for the impossible? That's what you need. So prayer team, why don't you guys come on up here? We're doing this now more. At the end of the service, we have people here that are specifically gifted by the Lord. And they're present here to pray for you, for these things, for anything. If you have any need in your life, come up and see. They'll be here and over here. And Pastor Kevin and I can be around as well to pray for people. If you need prayer, you need to come forward and let them lay hands on you. The Bible, I mean, we just went through James, guys. It says lay hands on people and pray. And these prayers are important. And you need to be prayed for. This is not shame time. 
like, well, I don't want to go up because people think my life's messed up. We already know. It's like, it's not a big deal. Like, so is mine. It doesn't matter. The point is, we need to be praying for each other because we need to have an appetite for the impossible. And this is how God likes to do these things, okay? So I'm going to open up this time as pr for prayer. Stand up. I'm going to pray for us. And then if you need prayer, come forward. Kayla's going to sing a song, and I'll close us with the prayer of the... Um, at the very end, but if you need prayer, feel free to come forward. So God, I just pray that you would bless this word in our lives and help us to have an appetite for the impossible as we study your exodus and help us to exit from the oppression or the things in our lives that we've given over to telling us the story of who we are and let us surrender to the story of you as deliverer in Jesus' name. Amen. So come forward if you need prayer and if not, sing along with us. Lord.